0: Well, this fall, we are heading through a series called "The Invisibles," where we're looking at some of the more supporting actors and actresses on the pages of Scripture. We've looked at a, at four of them already. This morning, we look at our fifth, Beniah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. Second Samuel, right at the end of Second Samuel, right before First Kings. If you get there, just a few pages earlier. Second um, Samuel twenty-three. Beniah, I want to make a couple of observations as we begin about Beniah. Um, what do we know about him from the text? He's actually in 45 different verses of Scripture, you know, so that's, that's not completely unknown, but he's not a, a major character. So, three observations about him just to kind of introduce him to us this morning. Number one, he is from a priestly line, he's from the tribe of Levi, all right? He is the son of a priest. And yet, he's a warrior. He's a strong leader. Uh, his father was Jehoiada, who Jehoiada was with David at Hebron when David was anointed king. So he was at his coronation there, and he's got a strong connection that way. He apparently grew up in a godly home, learned the scriptures, um, and was familiar with the worship of God. He's from a very small town located, not even finding on my, my uh, Bible atlas online. So I've got the closest thing I can find for you. you, It's really small. Sorry. Do you see Beersheba? How are your eyes? And Arad? It's not either one of those places. It's south of Arad, like halfway between Beersheba and Arad. If you've been with me to Israel, you know what is there? Nothing. It is desolate land. To to the to the east of Kabzeel, oh, I, did I tell you the name of the city? I might not have even done that. It's a little distracting sometimes to be me. I know, thank you. Because <laughs> it's not even in my notes to tell you the name of the city. No wonder I didn't tell you. It's a surprise. There's where it is there, and it's in Kabzeel, which had, I'd never heard of. My Bible atlas had never heard of, and so... Um, It's just in the middle of nowhere. It's in the Judean desert. There's nothing there. It's a hick little place, apparently. So, he's from a priestly line from way out in the middle of the boonies. Number two, he's loyal to David. He is very loyal to King David. His loyalty is implied because when Adonijah, David's son, wants to rebel against him, who does not get invited to the meeting to plan the, the revolution? Benaiah. He doesn't get an invite. And so he, he's apparently so loyal to David they knew, well, let's not ask him. And from the scripture references, it's clear that he served David for pretty much all 40 years of David's reign, and it spilled over even into the reign of Solomon. We do know he's a married man. He has at least two sons, Jehoiada, who he named after his father, and or his grandfather, and, and a, I didn't practice this one, Amizabad, that doesn't really matter, does it? He's a really invisible, Amizadad, a warrior who's not mentioned anywhere else except being Benaiah's son, that's it. But his loyalty to David earned him the rank of of an army commander. He had 24,000 men under his division, 24,000, that's a lot of men. See, our president of the United States has his secret service, and so David had his personal guard as well. Uh, and Beniah was honored to be among the mighty men of David. He, David puts him over his bodyguards. And David needed bodyguards. If you know anything about the story of David, there's always someone who wants David dead. And so beniah has got his hands full. In the book of 1 Samuel... It's all about King Saul hunting David down to, to kill him to, as a threat to the throne. After Saul dies, Benaiah's still got his work cut out for him because there's that Adonijah's attempt to control the throne. He's there to defend David. And then after David dies, it is actually Beniah who makes sure that Solomon, who David wanted to succeed him, actually does. And he's assisting at Gihon, at the springs of Gihon, as um, Solomon is coronated and crowned as king. And he becomes, for Solomon, the supreme army commander and his chief bodyguard. And you know what that rule got to do? Him, he, he, he got to kill those who opposed the new king, Adonijah, Joab, and Shimei. He got He got to take care and clean the mess up. Number three observation is he commands David's mercenary force, okay? He doesn't command any part of the actual army of David. He doesn't oversee any of the Hebrew soldiers. He, he oversees the Cherethites and the Pelethites. You've heard of them. <laughs> That's all I know about them. They're non-Jewish, okay? They're mercenaries, okay? They were foreign people hired by David to kind of beef up, kind of like the special forces that David had. So he was in charge of them. So that's a little taste of who he is, which is interesting, but like, you know, what does that have to do with me? And so that's what I want to spend the rest of the morning together. What does all of that mean to us? So let's cover some lessons that we can learn from his life, because the story of Beniah's life comes right at the end of David's life. We don't know much till 2 Samuel 23. In the the opening seven verses of Samuel 23, you have what is recorded and said to be the last words of David. It's quite fascinating. And then what follows that is a list of warriors in David's kingdom. And in the middle of that list of mighty men comes our invisible person, Benaiah. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabziel, you know where that is, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah son of Jehoiada He, too, was as famous as the three warriors, three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. That's that's the most of the story that we have. That's it. Three lessons stand out to me. Number one is this. We need to be ready for all circumstances. We need to be ready for any and all circumstances. No matter what's happening or what's about to happen, we need to be ready for God to do some amazing things. I mean, let me tell you something about that list of names in 2 Samuel 23. We don't really have anything like that in our society. But in the context of this, we have this list of of epic warriors for King David. These are the men who made Israel a world empire. They're some of the most courageous men in all of Israel's history. There's one big group of warriors, 37 in all, who fit into kind of two distinct groups. There's three, kind of the cream of the crop, and then there's the other 34. In that group of 34, you have two that stand out, one of them being Benaiah. So there's not really a close connection in the U.S. to try to get a handle on this. Um, if there would be, it would be like a, like a list of, of the five-star generals in our history. Sherman, Grant, Eisenhower, you know, MacArthur, Leahy, King, Nibbet, Nimitz. And if you've heard of some of those names, and, and they're famous generals in our, in our army. And then there's the list of the top three. Who would they be? Did you know Congress actually identified them? There's a list of three. It's referred to by Congress as the General of the Armies. And only three have fit into that category. They've uh, they've made George Washington, John J. Pershing, and George Dewey. Congress has never identified, and probably won't, anybody else in that top three list. See, and that's what David has here. He's got the top three, and then he's got these other 34. And and it's a list of the epic warriors. And it says in in chapter 23, verse 20, the first phrase of that verse says, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. And I don't know what your translations say. They're all over the map because there's a word used that they don't know what it means it's a very unique word and and benaiah found some opportunities here and he and he steps forward and he sees those opportunities he didn't let them pass mark batterson has written a, a rather famous book about Beniah, and he says that god is in the business of strategically placing us to be in the right place at the right time which is what's going on here and he wants us to do something amazing with the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And here, the first circumstance is this, this, these two warriors from Moab. And so he's confronted with these two people. Do you know where Moab is? I got a map to show you. Moab's across the Dead Sea from, from Israel, it's on, the, uh, it's on the east bank of the, Jordan, of the Jordan River. Well, the Jordan River ends at the top of the Dead Sea, but details. Do you remember who Moab? descends from? Lot. Lot. After Lot flees Sodom, he does something. He sleeps with his two daughters. One of them has a child named Ammon, the other has a has a has a did I say daughter, a son named Ammon and a no one of them Ah, I'm so confused. And Moab. That's they're from Lot, okay, who is Abraham's nephew. And so out of those two kingdoms that eventually come you have, you have enemies of Israel. The, the capital of Jordan today is Amman, named after this descendant of Lot. And so there are these two kingdoms over there. They, they have to fight this battle, Benaiah does, uh, with uh, two warriors. What is your, I don't know what your says. Because we struggle to define it, to define it. The phrase used to describe who he killed is, Moab's two mightiest warriors. But there's something going on in the wordplay here. Um, Some versions will say he killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. And it makes you think, okay, some guy named Ariel had two sons and Benaiah killed them. But they don't know what sons of Ariel mean exactly. It's similar to the word lion, so your King James version doesn't always get it right. The King James Version will say um, lion-like men when they translated the text because they didn't really know what this Ariel meant. It's, it's not a mermaid, okay? <laughs> if, if it means lion-like, then what, what it's saying is Benaiah was a mighty man. He killed two her, her heroes who were as strong and as brave as lions you know, in the next phrase, he's, dudes, he actually killed a lion, too. It's kind of, like, amazing. So it seems like he got a chance to do battle with these two mighty warriors, apparently, and he probably fought them at the same time, and he killed them. And so people at this point begin to know Benaiah for Benaiah, not for his dad, Jehoiada, not as the son of the priest. He's, he's now getting his own kind of on the street, and they begin to know his name because of his great faith and what he has done in battle, because faith, by its very nature, has to be bigger than us. It has to be bigger than just our circumstances and just our abilities, because if it's you doing what you can do as you're able to do it, it, there's no exercise of faith. So, it has to be bigger and it has to be in something greater than we are. You got to be ready at any time those warriors come up. You got to be ready at that moment for that opportunity and seize it and not let anything hold you back. Certainly not your fear. Because real insane faith. And Jesus Christ is looking at your circumstances, waiting for the opportunity to do something, and then let God do something amazing and awesome that He gets the credit for, not you. Because when you do that, our life is explained by things that are bigger than us. Verse 20, the next phrase he says, or the same phrase says, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel." He's a valiant warrior. He's a guy with an insane and crazy faith. The word valiant is fascinating. The Old Testament, it it can mean one of three different things. It can just mean life. And they say that's that's the word Jesus uses when he's facing um, uh, the temptation by Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, you know, but by every word that proceeds from, from the mouth of God. You know, it's life. You don't you don't live that way. Life doesn't consist of just living, and, and and buying bread. But this valiant can also mean riches and wealth. In our context, though, it seems to carry the idea of of courage. In the essence of the word, the, in the Old Testament, you, you don't have just a rich life. That's not the goal. You're looking for a courageous life. And if you're not living on the edge and displaying a great faith in God. That's not a valiant faith. Are you ready for circumstances as they come your way? Are you ready to exercise faith and let God show up and do something spectacular through you? Is that your way of life, or are you are just playing it safe, which is what we normally do? Second lesson I learned from Benaiah is that we must be willing to confront our fears. He's a guy ready for circumstances. He goes into battle. He deals with these two Moabites. But he's also willing to confront his own fears. And he seems very willing to do that. So we, we turn to this next incident, which, which really, from the outside, looks like a really bad break for him. But he turned, God turns it around. The scariest moments of your life can often become the greatest stories that you tell or even you laugh at later on. And you look back as you do months or years later and you sit around the dining room table and you're telling these stories and you just laugh because those scariest moments often make the greatest stories in life. And this guy had an incredible story to tell in one phrase he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. We don't have much more information than that. That's it. So shall we use our imaginations a little bit? Let's say you lived in Cobzeal 3,000 years ago. Kind of a, on the edge of town maybe. You know, a couple of things that from this story. We know it's, there's nothing there. And we know it's cold. It snowed. I've been to Jerusalem where it snowed, so it can get cold there. It can get snow. So you're sitting at a Starbucks in Kabziel. You're looking out the window, sipping on your latte, warming warming yourself up. It's a sleepy town, not a lot of action. But occasionally, you know, wild animals will come. And it's wintertime, and this lion is cold enough that it's... it. It's doing something contrary to its nature. It's coming into town, uh, probably looking for a meal. And you're sitting in Starbucks, sipping your latte, and you're watching everything happen. And this lion runs across the street. And what do you do? Go get the kids. Lock them up in the house. Don't let them out. Because nobody's going to go out there with this lion because the lion, in case you didn't know, they're at the top of the food chain. They can eat what they want. One swipe of the paw and your skull is crushed. On safari in Uganda, we'll see lions. We don't get out of the van. They're the the top of the food chain. So you see this lion, and then what do you see? You see crazy Benaiah chasing after it. Are you kidding me? The lion's looking over his shoulder. He's kind of scared. This crazy Benaiah's running after him. What's he going to do? And he runs across the street and he falls into a pit, probably a cistern of some sort. And so what do you expect to see next? You expect to see Benaiah go get something, a spear, an arrow, something to deal with this lion. He's got him trapped. But what does Benaiah do? He jumps into the pit after him. Wow. And guess what it's doing? It's snowing. The lion is now scared and backed into the corner of this pit where it has no defense. And you watch amazingly as Benaiah goes in after him. And so what do you do? Everybody kind of goes out there. They're safe now. They kind of stand around the edge. They're waiting for the lion maybe to come out and at least, you know, lick in his chops or something. But Benaiah comes out wearing a, wearing a lion skin coat. And we know for sure, I don't know, I'm speculating for sure, that the rest of his life, the people in this town are talking about that day when Benaiah killed the lion in the pit while it was snowing. But they're probably also talking about the God who worked in that situation, who Benaiah worships. It's amazing, it's insane. But too often, we just breeze across these things as we read the text and don't really think about what's really going on here. And 2 Samuel, he takes it a, sec, a step further in verse 21. He, and he struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. If you think the lion's a big deal, you have now kind of a David and Goliath story here. It's a huge Egyptian. It suggests a giant on the scale of Goliath, and Benaiah gets in in a fight with him. It might have been like the battle with David and Goliath where the, the, the army general sends one soldier from each side, and they battle, and whoever wins that battle wins I mean, whoever wins that little skirmish wins the battle. We don't know. There's not much more to say. But Benaiah's ba- dad was apparently the commander, and he knew his best warrior was his son, so he sends him in. Go do it, son. And he fights someone with a spear who can kill you from a distance with a club that you've got to be right there, like a shepherd's staff. And everybody's watching. I like the way First Chronicles kind of retells the story in chapter 11. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall, eight, nine feet. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Beniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Beniah, son of Jehoiah. He, too, was as famous as the three mighty warriors. See, he had a reputation... Of being a man who would confront his fears he confronted his fears with these two moabite whatever they were he confronted his fears when he jumped into that pit with a lion and when he faced that giant egyptian he's a guy willing to bet it all on god and watch god show up to do what only god can do you see there's something missing if we're only going to live with a safe and comfortable faith. There's really something wrong with men and women who are not willing to risk it all on God and let God show up. God doesn't need men and women who are playing it safe on the battlefield. On the battlefield, you need courageous soldiers. God needs warriors that are more dangerous than his enemies who are willing to do stuff that the enemy is not willing to do, who are able to be successful because they're willing to risk and have the courage to do so and do what God can only do. Mark Batterson, in his book, makes this statement, you rob Jesus of his glory when you don't have the guts to step out in faith and chase a lion. You see, you rob Jesus of his glory When the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something or to have some conversation and you just say, eh, not going to, no, 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 let's not do that. If the Holy Spirit is prompting, you need to listen and do whatever he asks you to do, whenever he asks you to do it, no matter what the risks, knowing that we have a God who is big enough to handle our circumstances. Benaiah was ready for all circumstances. Benaiah was willing to confront his fears. He jumped into a pit with a lion while it's snowing. And because of that, number three, he was was able to be an agent of change. We must be agents of change. When our lives have been transformed, they need to transform the lives of those around us too. And I think Benaiah became an agent of change in little Kabziel and in the nation. 2 Samuel 23, verse 22. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Think about it. Why did David pick Benaiah, not one of the three, to be in charge of his bodyguard? Maybe David remembered going out into the field facing Goliath as a young boy. Maybe David remembered as a shepherd boy on a hill facing his own battle with a lion. Maybe David remembered single-handedly going to battle against the Philistines, where he killed 200, not just a couple. I think David probably saw in Benaiah a guy exactly like him himself, and he wanted him, Benaiah, to be around David all the days of his life. You see, there's no question, in my mind at least, that Benaiah had the ear of King David. He's able to whisper advice from time to time into the ear of the king. And it seems that Benaiah was influential in the court because he's ready for any opportunity. He's ready to confront his fears. And he probably saw changes in the country because of his influence with David. He bloomed right where God planted him. He did exactly what God asked him to do. And people stood up and took notice. And eventually he became famous and he got the king's attention. You see, God has saved you for a reason. He wants you from time to time to do awesome, incredible, amazing things for his glory. Not in your own power. See, none of the other invisibles that we've studied in this series Zelophehad's daughters, or Korah, or Dorcas or Barnabas, they were were all relatively unknown, but they were superheroes in a sense. They were ordinary people who bloomed where God planted them, and they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do, and as a result, they changed the society. Some of them even helped change the world. I'm convinced that God is calling everyone, every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ as Savior to personally have that same kind of insane faith that Beniah had. To chase lions from time to time. To do what doesn't make sense to the people around us for the sake of the glory of God. Because then when God steps in and does what only he can do, he gets the glory. It's about him, not us. When you follow Christ, are you willing to be bold for him and do things that only he gets the credit for? But you know what I find kind of most interesting about this story is the lack of detail. It never really says how he killed the lion. That's what we want to know. How did he do this? But the text doesn't say, why not? Because if you think about it, Benaiah is able to do what he did because of who he is. He's a valiant warrior. It wasn't what he did which made him valiant. He was already valiant. The things he did just reveal who he was. He had what it took. He was that kind of man. And he did what he did was, was simply a revelation to other people as to who he was. These are very strange days to be in church. We're facing Moabite warriors, lions, really tall Egyptians. And the church is facing very difficult battles. They're not Moabites. They're issues of racism and justice and injustice, politics, covid vaccines mandates masks the issues have become a rorschach test where do you stand and they threaten to defeat us individually and corporately so are we going to be ready to seize the opportunities that god has laid out for us right now are we willing to confront our fears are we ready to be agents of change in our families and in the world? You see, modern life requires all three of Beniah's traits to be present in our lives because the days that we live today are dangerous to the health of any church. How can we be a valiant warrior in those days against our modern enemies? I think it can be summarized in three words. Tenacious, engaging, courage. Tenacious means we don't give up. Engaging means we face life with a smile, not a scowl. We're alive. Courage means we do what we need to be done. We we do what needs to be done. Tenacious means we keep on keeping on. Encouraging means we don't lose our temper and just say something stupid. Courage means we take our stand for the truth. Tenacious means we keep on praying. Encouraging means we're cheerful when others attack us. Courage means we do hard things without complaining. Tenacious means we love people anyway. Engaging means we display grace under pressure. Courage means we speak up instead of wimping out. You see, we need all three as we face modern battles. We need the insane faith of Benia. And let's be honest, living in the South Bay, this ain't Kabziel, folks. We are strategically positioned to change the world. Our opportunities are limited only by our unwillingness to be ready. And if we're going to grow and reach the South Bay and beyond, we've got to, be, we've got to confront our fears. We've got to be willing to, to continually be agents of change, and change is hard. But the enemy is prowling around, and, and people are trying to pull us apart from each other and from God. And we live in a day where the roots of our faith must be stronger. than anything trying to pull us apart. And the depths of our relationships need to maintain the unity of faith in the bond of peace. Why do you think a small group is so important? Because that's where you're gonna build the roots of faith and shared common love for Jesus, love for the word. Are we willing to courageously follow Jesus so that God can use this church to change the world as we move forward? What do you need to do? Do you need to just start a walk with Jesus? Do you have that personal life with Him? Have you ever trusted Him as your Savior? Do you need to commit to Him today for the first time? Maybe you need a commitment that just says, I want to change my city I want to change my community this week. I am not going to let my fear dominate my life and hold me back. Maybe I just need to be d- to say I'm done playing safe. And from now on I'll step out in faith as God leads. Are we tenacious? Are we engaging? Are we courageous? That's what I learned from Benaiah. What a man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the example of this guy who for most of us was invisible. We may have heard about the lion and the snowstorm, but we wouldn't have jumped into the pit. We are in the pit with the lion right now. And we need each other. And we need our common faith. And we need our reliance on the scriptures to keep us together, to keep us moving forward by the power and the bond of the Spirit. So let let your word do its work in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. that our love for you and each other would be deeper than the giants we face today. In Jesus' name, amen.